0: Welcome to this episode of Physicians Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Giles from Medico Medical Publishers in collaboration with Physicians Weekly. Today's theme in this podcast is preventative medicine with interviews about research in colorectal cancer screening programs and in dietary intervention in type 2 diabetes patients to achieve remission. In case you haven't been exposed to it much, preventative medicine is a medical specialty that focuses on the health of individuals and communities. The goal of preventative medicine is to promote health and well-being and prevent disease, disability, and death. Preventative medicine specialists must have a broad range of medical skills as well as expertise in behavioral, economic, environmental, and social sciences. A doctor of preventative medicine can help create healthier communities, save lives, and transform healthcare systems.
1: Welcome to Physicians Weekly.
0: Later in this episode, we speak with Dr. Richard Rosenfeld about a recently published expert consensus statement he authored with the aim to assist clinicians in achieving remission of type 2 diabetes in adults using diet as a primary intervention. In that publication, expert consensus was achieved for 69 statements pertaining to diet and remission of type 2 diabetes. Dietary specifics and types of diets are discussed. Adjuvant and alternative interventions are stated. Support, monitoring, adherence to therapy, weight loss, payment and policy are also addressed. Clinicians can use these statements to improve quality of care, inform policy and protocols, and identify areas of uncertainty. Professor Rosenfeld is the chairman and program director of otolaryngology at SUNY Downstate University in New York.
1: The Physician's Weekly Podcast provides thought leader insights on the latest medical news, clinical trial coverage, and advances in medicine and healthcare.
0: But first, we speak with Professor Michael Cantor from Kaiser Permanente's School of Medicine, California. He has oversight of the quality of care responsible by 22,000 physicians to 12.2 million patients within the healthcare system nationally, and was responsible for the development of the organization's national quality strategy. He works to significantly improve key clinical quality metrics, including cancer screenings, blood pressure control, and tobacco cessation. As you probably know, colonoscopy has played a pivotal role in the declining U.S. incidence of colorectal cancer in persons older than 50 years, observed over the last two decades. Physicians Weekly senior editor Marta Kelly speaks with Professor Cantor about his, quote, moonshot vision, end quote, of reducing mortality from colorectal cancer by 50% in 10 years by improving the quality metrics in colorectal cancer screening programs. Enjoy listening.
2: Hello, today uh, we are here with Dr. Michael H. Cantor, Chair and Professor of Clinical Science at Kaiser Permanente's Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine. Welcome.
1: Welcome, thank you. Nice to be here.
2: Today we're going to discuss uh, Beyond Screening, an interim report and analysis of multimodal initiative to decrease colon cancer mortality. Can you tell me how you decided to, to begin this study and you know, what needs existed for your research?
1: Yeah, I'd be delighted to. And uh, this is more of a quality improvement project. So we have been looking at colon cancer and other cancers and looking at screening rates and sometimes looking at other uh, pieces of quality, but came up with the idea of looking at a common cancer, which we think is largely treatable and curable if caught early and wanted to look at the thing from stem to stern in terms of what could we do now using current known evidence to decrease mortality rate. And so, and we sort of scan the environment and we saw a few places that would look at sort of more unusual cancers and, and, try an approach similar but tended to be based more on new technology, finding new drugs. This was different philosophy and we were measuring population-based mortality rates rather than five-year survival rates, which is the more common way of of looking at cancer mortality. So uh, quality improvement and we thought there was an opportunity here based on our knowledge of colon cancer. So I hope that makes sense to your listeners.
2: Can you briefly explain what you and your colleagues set out to determine with the study and how you went about doing so, how it was conducted?
1: Well, this was, uh, again, quality improvement. We set a goal of a 50% reduction in mortality over 10 years. That was an aspirational goal, but one we were serious about um, going for. We called it a moonshot goal, and the numbers were somewhat arbitrary on how we uh, arrived at that. It was me and Dr. Schottinger, who's uh, one of the authors on the papers, sort of making an educated guess as what might be achievable. And then we started a a region-wide initiative to basically uh, use pretty much any means that seem practical to reduce mortality rate in a systematic fashion. And from a science point of view, there wasn't a control group. We didn't withhold some of our members back. So uh, that creates some limitations on the interpretation of what we did. But we were able to show a sizable uh, drop in mortality over a seven-year period Uh, This is an interim publication, so we didn't wait the full 10 years. And of course, our our friend uh, COVID kind of interfered with a lot of the work we were doing. and, um, And so we decided to publish up until COVID really impacted our delivery system and come up with interim results that I think has got some learnings for a lot of people here.
2: Uh, what findings from your study are important to stress to our physician readers, particularly gastroenterologists and oncologists?
1: Well, we were able to show a reduction in mortality of about 23% over the seven years. Little behind goal, but, you know, it's not clear what would happen in the 10 years. Um, I think the goal is that this approach is feasible. It takes a. Village, if I can sound a little um, trite, but it really does. It's about teamwork. So um, what we ended up doing is created teams in each of our medical centers that would have oncologists, gastroenterologists, surgeons, pathologists, primary care doctors, and they really needed to work together to examine what pieces of care could be improved and then set metrics and processes to improve those and follow through on it. So we, in essence, did a series of rapidly repeating, rapid cycle improvement projects on a whole host of things related to colon cancer that we thought might improve mortality rates. I don't think the, I mean, the gastroenterologists and oncologists become leaders in this, but they can't do it by themselves.
2: How would you like to see physicians incorporate their findings into their practices?
1: Well, I would like to see other healthcare systems uh, try this. And I think President Biden has uh, sort of set a similar goal to reduce mortality from cancer. He gave himself, uh, or I should say us, we're, we're a country, but uh, 25 years to um, do this across all cancers. But I think that I'd, I'd like to see other people try this kind of approach because I think it's it's doable. Um, One could do this in other cancers other than colon cancer. I think lung cancer is a prime target for this sort of information uh, or this approach rather. Uh, given all of the new findings and complex delivery system changes that need to occur for that. And I think we could collectively learn from each other um, what works, what doesn't, and how to approach cancer mortality in a more systematic way. What we really were talking about is re-engineering our delivery systems such that every person who needs to get a certain kind of care gets it. And it's it's about increasing the reliability of our cancer delivery systems and making it available for every person in the country with cancer or before they get cancer to prevent it.
2: And finally, uh, this, this kind of piggybacks on the last question, but what would you like to see future research focus on in this area?
1: And I think that I would like to see other people try this approach in a different setting with a different approach. Every system is going to find um, different gaps in their systems. So I think there could be uh, collective learning as to what works and what doesn't. We tried one approach. One of the weaknesses of our study is we can't tell what interventions actually move the dial and which ones were superfluous. So I think that that is another thing that might be learned over time. And I'd like to see people study this with other cancers, as I said, and people could even do this with other diseases as well. Uh, anything where you can measure mortality rates and a population is amenable to this approach.
2: Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: A pleasure talking to you, and I'm hoping to inspire somebody else.
2: Hello, today I'm here with Dr. Richard Rosenfeld. He's a senior liaison for Medical Society Relations at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. He is the author of an expert consensus statement to assist clinicians in achieving remission from type two diabetes in adults using diet as a primary intervention, which was recently published in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine. Welcome. Thank you. What makes this topic using remission of type two diabetes using diet as a primary intervention?
3: What needs existed? The need is simply the incredibly rising prevalence of diabetes in U.S. adults. It's currently about one in seven, Mm. which is up from one in 10, 20 years ago. And of these, about 25% of folks don't even know they have it. And of course, diabetes can lead to blindness, kidney disease, heart disease, circulatory issues, uh, even worse than COVID outcomes and, and poor quality of life. And the key reason behind this is whereas optimal nutrition has always been part of management, often called medical nutrition therapy, it's usually sort of secondary to other things such as medications, bariatric surgery, or weight loss, but we're putting it up here for the first time as a primary way to achieve remission.
2: Can you briefly explain what you and your colleagues set out to determine with the study and how you went about doing so?
3: Well, this was prompted by a position statement published by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine on the same topic that was with John Kelly as the lead author in 2020. And based on a literature review of, of nine key intervention studies with lifestyle interventions, uh, most of which had a very low calorie diet and some physical activity, they concluded that you really could achieve this remission of type two diabetes both partial and sometimes complete using diet as an intervention. So the position of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine at the time was they recommended a whole food plant-based diet. The problem was this was just the opinion of a couple of folks reviewing the literature. So we wanted to take it to the next level by seeing if we could get consensus from a very diverse group Using a very structured process that's been validated in in other ways, and you know, we wanted to know how do you define remission? Can diet achieve it as a primary intervention? Can it sustain it? What diets best? And in doing this, our group consisted of fifteen experts, but uh, just under half of them came from other uh, medical societies, so it wasn't just lifestyle medicine folks. We also had people from the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology, from the Endocrine Society, from Nutrition and Dietetic Societies, the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, as well as individuals within lifestyle medicine, and starting with a a fairly extensive evidence review. That landed us with 18 randomized trials, nine randomized trials, uh, including some of the major studies, the direct study, the counterpoint study, the look-ahead trial, plus some observational studies, systematic reviews, and position statements. That was the starting point to formulate statements and see if we could reach consensus.
2: And what about your findings? What findings from your study are important to stress to our physician readers, particularly endocrinologists, primary care, uh, anybody who comes into contact with patients with diabetes or obesity?
3: Well, I I think the findings are important to all stakeholders, but of particular relevance to endocrinologists because they were involved in the process and ultimately the final paper was endorsed by the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology and it was co-sponsored by the Endocrine Society. We achieved consensus. And by consensus, what I mean is that using a nine point scale on levels of agreement from one to nine, when people responded in a Delphi survey uh, via the internet, to achieve consensus, the average of all 15 respondents had to be seven or higher, nine being the highest level of consensus. And there had to be only one or fewer outliers, meaning at most one person was a naysayer in that they were two points from the mean. So consensus is a, a pretty tight, and to my amazement, we achieved consensus on 69 statements. To get this group to agree was incredible. The key ones, I think, particularly for endocrinologists, are that we defined remission of type 2 diabetes as normal glycemic measures, so the hemoglobin A1c and fasting glucose had to be normal for three months with no surgery devices or active pharmacologic therapy. We later agreed to be consistent with the new ADA uh, definition in diabetes care in 2021, which sets the hemoglobin ABC at 6.5 as opposed to the normal level. So that's remission. And I think one of the most important consensus statements was that diet as a primary intervention The main management tool can achieve remission in many adults with type 2 diabetes. I I think that's a very novel and probably the most important finding that this group could agree on that. It's related to the intensity of the intervention. So some of the, the less intense caloric reductions and things didn't seem to work as well. But you can get your, your calorie intake down a number of ways by reducing energy density, volume, portion, food size, or, or combining these approaches.
2: And how would you like to see physicians again and endocrinologists specifically incorporate your findings into their practices?
3: Well, our, our goal here was to reach consensus, not to make recommendations, which is more the purview of a clinical practice guideline. But I think based on the consensus, to me, the the bottom line is there's a remarkably empowering message here, for patients and providers that you can achieve remission of diabetes just with diet. I, I mean, that's incredibly empowering. I think for patients, the diet should emphasize unrefined carbohydrates and probably a whole food, plant based diet is best. We did agree on that, and it, you know, it's most effective. In the sense of a a somewhat low-fat whole food plant-based diets or the dash diet for hypertension or the mediterranean diet you know by whole food plant-based we're talking about primarily vegetables fruits legumes nuts seeds whole complex carbohydrates Diet alone is great but we do advise and agreed upon the need for comprehensive lifestyle intervention particularly some degree of physical activity and we emphasize diabetes self-management education is very important as well as routine self-management of of blood glucose levels to guide uh, how you're doing. What future research you would like to see? There were a number of things we could not achieve consensus on and I think those are areas for future research particularly you know, what's the role really of reducing animal foods and meat in this? Is it just a matter of upping the whole grains or do we need to reduce those as well? A big question was how restrictive you needed to be on this healthy whole food plant-based diet. Could people just eat what they want as often as they wanted, given the low caloric density, or did you need to be restrictive? It would be nice to have randomized trials to really look at this because the existing trials have focused on uh, very low calorie diets, uh, often liquid diets or extreme things to start, not necessarily on a more tolerable whole food plant-based diet. Uh, we'd like to know what promotes adherence and dissemination. But I, you know I think the bottom line from our work is that you can achieve remission in many adults. A high nutrient, low energy diet for the first couple of months, is ideal, primarily whole food plant-based, and perhaps some time-restricted feeding if you can fit it in between 8 and 6 p.m., but that's clearly a softer uh, uh, conclusion. But uh, again, a very empowering message, and I think it sets the stage for clinicians to make informed decisions.
2: Well, thank you very much. This has been very informative.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Physicians Weekly Podcast. Stay safe and stay healthy.
1: Physicians Weekly is produced in collaboration with Medicom Medical Publishers and Physicians Weekly.